Sport Calgary is the voice of over 275 sports organizations in the Calgary area. Share your voice and become a Sport Calgary member for free at sportcalgary.ca slash members. I love the music. I love the music. The music's fun. I, I like having a podcast with music. That's kind of cool. Uh, say, hey, kids, how you holding up? How, how you, this is your old podcasting pal, uh, Rob. I'm glad you could join us. Uh, got a good one? No. Got a great one for you today. Um, really cool dude. Um, I enjoyed this conversation quite a bit. Um, full disclosure, I had not talked to him before this. So this was cool to kind of make a, a podcasting friend. Um, he is on his way to uh, Tokyo. Yeah, 2021. Um, well, he's an Olympian. Or he's going to be an Olympian. Um, he is one of the fastest human beings in this country, if not the world. He is Sam Effa, and Sam is a Classroom Champions ambassador. He is a speaker. Uh, he's involved, uh, of course, with the uh, Royal Bank uh, Olympian program. Just a really cool dude, full energy, uh, great story, and, heck, he has no problem sharing it with us, which I think is awesome. So I'm really looking forward to this, and he was on The Amazing Race. He is on The Amazing Race? Anyway. Uh, he'll talk about that at the end. Uh, by the way, just want to remind everybody, uh, Calgary is home to world-class multi-sport facilities. Find the facility closest to you at sportcalgary.ca. Ladies and, ge- and, ladies and, ge- ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Sam Effa. How are you? I'm good. How are you? How are you handling this little pandemic? Um, I'm going a little stir-crazy. I won't mm-hmm. lie to you. Um, this is an absolute godsend for me. I spend my Fridays uh, doing podcasts, and and I love this part. This is good, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, I don't know. It might be different for an athlete, um, but just for a layperson, like I wasn't really prepared for this. This was not on my radar two months ago. No, <laughs> I feel like a lot of people, a lot of people have been. Uh, you just kind of have to roll with the punches. I don't know what tomorrow brings, but. I mean, I got I got health, I got family. So yeah, happy with that. So, yeah. So tell me about this journey so far. What's the this been like for you? First of all, were you prepared at all for this? Were you aware as an athlete that something like this was going around the world? Uh, not particularly. No, not really. I mean, hearing from what had uh, kind of happened in China initially, that was that was the extent of it. I was like, okay, something's going on in China. Yeah. Um, there's, I feel like every year there's something. I remember in 2016, uh, before the Olympics, actually, it was uh, Zika virus. So in my head, I was like, not to downplay any sort of virus or any sort of situation, but I was like, oh, this is probably something that's going to clear. But when I, I think for me, when I started to realize this is really serious, they 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 canceled uh, World Indoor Championships. They were supposed to be in March, and uh, they were canceled in like January. So I was like, huh, this might be bad. That's the earliest that we've had a guest on that's kind of been able to pinpoint a time. I mean, I, I, I guess the news started reporting it around then, but that was an actual event that you were going to that you never got to go to, right? Well, to be honest, I was like very half and half. So how it works in track and field, you have your indoor and your outdoor season. Right. And in an Olympic year, you're, I mean, you're focused on outdoor. That's, that's what matters. Mm-hmm. So for the World Indoor Championships, I told myself, I'm not going to full blast focus on that. But if I run the times uh, that qualify me to get there, then I'll go. But I, I literally I ran like one race and then this major championships was canceled. So that's that's how I knew. And I was like, I have a couple more races. But is there a point if there's no world indoor championship? So, yeah, in, in beginning of January, when that got shut down, I was like, OK, well. So when did that connect to Tokyo for you? When did you start to wonder about whether or not that was going to happen? Uh, so same month, it would have been the end of January. So I train at the Olympic oval in Calgary, uh, dinos go dinos. Uh, so I was just training there and we have speed skaters that also train, uh, on the inside. It's, it's a cool dynamic. You have speed skaters on the inside and then track athletes on the outside. And I remember they had like a world cup and that got canceled. And I was like, world cup. Like these are events that are, are, I, in my uh, lifetime I've never seen get get canceled. So then I started thinking, I was like, wow, the Olympics, there could be something uh, that could happen to the Olympics. I'm like, these are the Olympics, but like, 
if, if they're canceling World Cups. And then I came across a guy actually at the track. He's he's a Chinese speed skater. The, the whole all of Team China had come over for uh, this World Cup, and I remember him telling me, "Yeah, we can't even go back home." And that's when I was like, "Okay, this is uh, this is kind of scary." Did did you have a role of voice? Um, it's funny because at the time it seemed like this in, incredible decision and this fortitude shown by Canada to to step up and and pump the brakes. Did you have a role or anything to play in that, Sam? Uh, to pump the brakes, I wouldn't necessarily say I had a any sort of strong role. I had um, a couple like news news agencies coming to me to ask, you know, like you know, how does how is this going to train change your training? How is this going to change your mindset? Um, but personally, I was just digesting the news. I remember actually saying, like, like just give me some space because I don't even know what to think. Yeah. This is nothing that, as an athlete, you even compare, you even prepare for in any way. You have the controllables, and then you have the non-controllables. Something that you always have in your mind is that the date of a big competition is going to be there. Like you don't even think about that. So it was just like this new variable. What what was going through your mind when and when you were told that Canada was pulling out? Because that that's news stories about sixteen hours in length, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, I remember that day. I was like, it was such a weird feeling because. I, I like to say I have a, a pretty good perspective on, um, yeah, sport, yeah, life. And I remember thinking to myself, like, man, this is a dream that I have been working on my whole life. Like, how could this happen? But then I also thought to myself, I'm like, man, like, when it comes down to health, when it comes down to safety, when it comes down to, to people dying and, like, true fear, like, this is something that transcends something bigger than sport. So there was this... It was just, it was a feeling of understanding, but like it stung, it stings and it has stung heavily. You are the first athlete I get to ask this question to. And I, I want to double back on this in a second, but those, the question I want to ask you is your event, your big event has now been pushed back a year. What do you make of all of the North American pro sports going through what they're going through trying to come back or talking about coming back early it's not like they said well we're going to postpone tokyo for a month they said one whole year whereas yeah. north american pro sports are looking to try and come back right away what as an athlete do you make of that conversation i mean it's it's tough like my opinion is to to, to be honest not even really have an opinion okay. i just every single day i feel like is the equivalent of like a month of news so every time i'm like <laughs> yeah i think that uh you know such and such should go on or this shouldn't go on the next day. It's like you hear about an outbreak somewhere else in some really crazy story. So I've almost like I've taken the I've taken um, I just have come forward and 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 just kind of made sure that I don't even involve myself too heavily. I'm just like, what can I control right now? Yep. Like for all I know, who knows, like NBA might be back in July or something. But it's like <laughs> this is just absolutely nuts. I'm just trying to breathe and focus on me at this point and, and the people surrounding me, I, it's just hard to have an opinion. Do you have clarity about the road to 2021? Have, have, do you know what it entails for you as an athlete? You're secure in your spot. You don't have to re-qualify or anything. No, I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm the complete opposite. I, <laughs> I have a, I have a lot to do with, with track and field. I mean, being an outdoor sport are, and, and living in Canada are, are uh, qualifying essentially starts when the outdoor season starts and I mean, being in Calgary, it's still snowing. So yeah. <laughs> I never had a chance to try. So that, that definitely changes things up and being the type, I'm kind of type a where it's like, I know my competitions in advance. Like in April, I was supposed to be in Florida in in May, I was going to go over to Europe in June. I was going to like prime myself and be ready for trials. Now that's all wiped. So I have like no idea what's going to happen, but I'm like, I've also, you know, taking the liberty to, to reverse engineer things. I've, I've, I've looked, okay, 2020, or sorry, 2021, what is it going to take for me to get there? And I'm just, I'm just in this, like, I would call it a building phase. How have you adapted your training? How are you, did, did you take a break at all? Did you, did you just stop for a couple of days or does the, the engine not allow you? No, you know what? I'm, I, I'm pretty motivated too. So <laughs> as soon as I heard the news, I was like, oh, my goodness. And it's like 
I had like a whirlwind of emotions. Like the first thing I thought is like, okay, that's okay. 2021, you know, I'm going to start, you know, day one starts today, did some push-ups, And then you think to yourself, you're like, well, realistically, I probably should rest my body. And then it was like, okay, well, maybe it's off season now because I'll probably take a good month off. So I had all these kind of emotions. I took a step back and then I was like, you know what, let's just try to train to the best of your ability for the, the next week and then figure things out because under emotion, under that kind of duress, you're not going to make smart decisions. So right now it's like I'm doing quarantine core workouts. Today is quarantine core workout Friday. <laughs> uh, so I'm doing like exercises. I'm doing med ball work. Uh, it's actually, it's like 20 exercises, eight minutes of ab work. It's all high intensity. Like I just, I have myself in a high performance mindset because you don't really lose that. And I've never been out you know, in, I don't think in April of this time this year. So it's a really odd time. And I'm just like, I want to keep it going. You're a very social guy. You're active out there. Um, You're an ambassador for classroom champions and other things. And I want to get into that, but are you sharing, are you one of these guys that's sharing and challenging people to, to, to stay, uh, try and keep up with you? Oh, wait, what do you, (laughs) you know, are you putting your, are you putting your workouts online? You know what? I I started to, at first I was like, I, I'm just going to be completely honest. At first, I was like, no, I don't want to put my workouts out there. You know, I don't want people stealing, you know, <laughs> my secrets, you know, that special ab workout that's going to get me to, like, you know, run Canadian record. But then I got to a point, I was like, you know what? A part of this journey, and this is a big part of my story, it's not about just getting on the podium and getting medals and being the best. It's about, you know, having positive, tangible impact. So I decided I'm going to start posting uh, my workouts, not everything. But uh, <laughs> I got to start posting my workouts and, and hopefully this can like be uh, an inspiration to somebody sitting at home and is, is thinking like, man, this sucks and I, I don't want to work out. Maybe they'll see my video and want to do some push ups or something. Right, OK, and this is the first time I've asked a guest this, but we're a month in. Is it hard for you to eat as an athlete? <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say yes and no. So I'd say yes because now that I have an extra year to train, I sometimes will be like, I got, I got a sweet tooth. I got a junk food tooth. I'll see like a pizza hut commercial on TV. And I'm like, what's one pizza right now? <laughs> so it's, it's little things like that. And I did order a pizza. I'm not going to lie. Lot, it was, was last week. I actually dropped it as soon as it came in. It was so disappointing, like super, <laughs> clum- super clumsy. Um, <laughs> with Corona, you don't want to eat that out the floor. So yeah, it's, it's hard. But at the same time, uh, I'm also staying with my girlfriend and she's vegan. So for her to cook for me okay. and kind of keep me accountable has been huge. And yeah. I haven't like I'm still I, ch- I check my weight every morning. So I'm still I'm still a good 79 kilograms. So we're good. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> um, are you, it's funny. We talked to Erica Weeb and we've talked to some other athletes. What's the home gym situation like? I know you mentioned the you're doing core workouts. You mentioned the ball. But yeah. what 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 tools do you have access to, Sam? That's that's basically that's basically it. The, on my arms and legs and uh, couch, I have <laughs> um, so outside of my bed ball, I have oh, I have a lot of bands and I have an ab roller, which is great. But it's it's very minimal. Nothing to. I mean, I have suitcases, but I'm not trying to do squats with suitcases <laughs> at this point. I'm just trying to uh, functional mobility. So I'm stretching. I'm using the wall, but it's it's very limited. It's very limited. Because you're a sprinter, do you go outside? What kind of running do you do? Um, over the last little bit, I have decided to just stay in. Okay. okay. I did some traveling, so I actually I haven't even been outside. But prior to um, being, I guess, a little bit more serious in quarantine, so p- prior to, to March 5th, I believe it was like 15th when people started to quarantine, I would be doing some jogs. But my coach, so my coach is uh, less romantic. He's a big yeah. believer that, I mean, if you're going to, as a sprinter, if you're going to be running fast, everything you should do should be fast. So there's no point in doing like, I don't know, 10K jog. Like a lot of it is just, it would be on a field if that ever opens again. It's interesting (laughs) you bring up Les's name because I had Nicole on the uh, podcast. Oh, nice. Yeah. Tell me about Les Grammatic from your standpoint. Uh. Les is a, he's, he's a great coach. And in my opinion, um, he's one of the best coaches just because of his philosophy. He kind of has an old school philosophy with like the openness to learn 
you know, just these new school ma uh, modalities. So anytime we're in training, <clears throat> everything is, I feel like everything is calculated. You know what I mean? From the warm up to the weight to on competition day. <clears throat> Excuse me. Nothing you do in training, um, nothing you do in training is, is put in to make you run slow. Everything has perfect translation to the track. And I love that about him. Nicole was telling me that, and I'm sure it's, he, maybe I don't know this, but Nicole said that he doesn't mind being blunt. Like, he just tells it the way <laughs> it is. Is, is. Do you get that same experience from him? Oh, yeah, of course. I feel like <laughs> with Les, it's, it's, you're getting exactly what you ask for. Now, that sounds kind of weird, but what I mean by that is, like, if you ask him an honest question, you will get an honest answer. And in 2020 of... Uh, the year of being like, I, I don't know, politically correct and this and that. Don't get me wrong. He is extremely respectful yeah. uh, as a human being, as, as a man. But, you know, if I'm running slow in training, he's telling me you're running slow. If I am not um, doing the correct technique on a lift, he's going to tell me you're not doing the right technique on that lift. Obviously, he builds us up as well. He gives us compliments. He tells us what is great. But his constructive criticism is blunt. And, and I respect that. I don't want somebody who's going to, to beat around the bush. Just tell me what I need to improve on, and let's go. And that's why it works. Dude has seen a lot, been a lot, trained with the best. How much history do you pick his brain for? How much name-dropping does he do? Uh, you know what? He's, he's super humble. So he's not at training telling us about how he trained Michael Smith to an Olympic medal and, and all these other athletes. Um, but I do pick his brain uh, just into – yeah, what he did go through, and 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 he definitely brings good perspective to to things like injuries. Like funny story, I remember this is wow, this is a while back. Um, I remember I thought I had a, a hernia. It ended up just being like a serious cramp or something. I was just being a baby. But anyway, he had told me when he was a kid, he had a cramp, and uh, or no, sorry, he had a cramp. He had a hernia, and it was like I got the surgery, and I was back to, and I was back to training the next week. I was like, wow. Like you have the, you have him tell you about a story like that, and you're like, okay, well, maybe I should just you know hydrate better, whatever it is. One of the questions that I've I've kind of leaned on, starting to deal with individual athletes and particularly track athletes, is I'm very curious about your team, because you are you know you're seen out there as the athlete, you're the one that we're concentrating on, but mm -hmm. I'm curious about your team, Sam. How big is the group around you that is helping you prepare? Shoot. I feel like I'm going to need a long list. Like I have shout outs for days. So, I mean, okay. Team wise, like direct team. So shoot, I almost don't want to do this cause I'm going to forget somebody, but whatever I'll try. So directly it's, it's less who is the, uh, strength and I guess conditioning running coach. And then I have, uh, my physios, my chiros, my massage therapists. Um, and then it comes down to even like sponsors. Yeah. Sponsors yeah, yeah. have been huge. I was I actually got uh, picked up by Shake and Happy GM and Calgary Harley Davidson. They're a local, uh, two local dealerships here in Calgary, uh, which have been amazing. They funded my training. They want to see me be more than just an athlete too. Um, so them, uh, I'm trying to think who else. I'm sponsored by RBC, yep. um, my physio clinic, Proactive Health Group, um, Adesso. I do a lot of speaking engagements. They they put on you know, formal attire for me and stuff. Um, so then it's, it's there. And then I have like my mentor. So it's, it's a big team. I could really go on for days, but it's like, I have people who are looking out for my, me on the track, uh, me off the track, me in corporate, me in business, me in speaking and me in mentorship. It, it is rather impressive to go to your website and, and take a look at the things that you do. How organized are you? That's the one thing I came <laughs> away from is like, are you, are you, Sam Athlete Incorporated, or do you have a handler? How does it work? So I actually don't have a handler. I'm just like really, I take times not only like of the day, but of the year to really focus on being organized. So I do everything for the most part on my own. Like I had somebody build my website, my good buddy. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, it's just like I spend a good hour in the morning um, just preparing what my day is going to look like or else on the weekends, like Sundays are a big day. It's like in order to know what I'm going to have to do during the week, I need to make sure my Sundays are organized. One of my mentors, he's like, you got to have an agenda, uh, the night before in order to be ready for what you have to go and do. 
Because if you start organizing things the same day that you got to actually go and execute, whether that's training, work, you just you're losing energy. So it's like that Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm like, okay, this is this is in the lab and this is preparing. But yeah, organization is is super key. I got to still work on it, though. I'm not going to pretend I'm super organized, but no, I'm trying. No, no, but it, it, like I say, your resume, what you do is very impressive to me. And that's why I wanted to know, you know, from that standpoint, then when did you and I hope you don't take offense to this term, but when did you develop the brand? When did you realize that as an athlete, you are a brand? Oh, thanks. <laughs> little compliment in there um i would say for me <clears throat> it started in 2014 and i had posted this on on instagram some time ago um it was just i was talking about uh identity so it, it came from getting injured and i remember uh so i had uh two labral tears in both of my hips it was brutal mm-hmm. like i thought i would be able to to sprint again doctors were like you'll be able to run but we don't know how fast so anyways, I ended up getting the surgery and I realized I was taking so many things for granted. So it was like that point, um, at that point, I realized that I wanted to like really develop a brand. I want to be able to like make my career um, as impactful as possible. So from that point on, it was like, yes, I'm going to you know, start engaging more heavily with my sponsors. But it's like now I need to make sure I have some positive impact. And uh, so, yeah, 2014, it would have been November November 14th, I'd say, the day I got my surgery, I was lying in my bed, and I was like, what am I doing? And it was just a revamp of, of Sam. Wow, that, that is pretty specific. Like, yeah. to be able to go to that moment. Why, what, before November 14th of 2014, is that what you said? Did I get yeah. the name right? Before oh. that, what was going on? Why hadn't you taken that approach? Uh, I was I was living in the moment. I had a lot of success. Gotcha. Um, don't get me wrong. Like I I deserved. I worked hard, but I I didn't necessarily. In my opinion, now I would say I didn't appreciate it as much. I was sponsored by Nike. I had Nike contract. Um, I had sponsors just kind of coming to my door. I didn't I didn't really have to do much. A lot of the stuff was just because I was running so fast and I was doing so well. A lot of people were coming to me. Mm-hmm. The thing is, when you're down and out, and you may you may have talked to other athletes about this. You know, outside of the Olympic year, there's often not a lot of funding. There's not a lot of support. So it's like that sort of feeling when you're injured. But there's kind of, there there may be no upswing. There may be no Olympics. So I, it was like a slap in the face. But like, honestly, I'm so happy it happened because it changed my perspective. And now it's like, okay, when I have an opportunity, you really need to attack that opportunity no matter how big or how small. You know, it, I'm glad you brought that up. You brought up the quadrennial. And yeah. I, I, you know, spent 25 years in the media, and one thing that frustrated the hell out of me was every four years we seemed to really care about somebody, and then the next three years, ah, whatever. And then, you know, the Olympics are coming. We care about you again. And I never understood it, never liked it. I know mm-hmm. the athletes hated it. And I think it was part of the struggle, too, right? Like, you got all that attention leading up to and maybe a couple weeks afterwards, but then when the work needed to be done, years one, two, and three of the quadrennial, that was the hard part. And and I often wondered if that wasn't why we saw the evolution of the athlete, particularly the Canadian athlete. Uh, I think of Akeem Haynes. I think of all of these great Calgary athletes that have gone and done what you're doing and give back to the community that way. Which isn't yeah. a question. It's just a thought. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know what to say to that. But it's it, no, it's, there's, there's so much truth to it. But I think even to add on that, the onus is on us as athletes. I, I, I think sometimes about that, and I'm like, oh, man, life's not fair. But also, it's it, even if you're not an athlete, you have the ability to change your narrative. So once you realize that's a situation, my question would be, what are you going to do about it? And if you do nothing then you're content. And that's, that's the mindset I have. I'm like, I've, I've felt sorry for myself long enough. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, what would you, beyond the athletic standpoint, what would you like to do with your brand? What would you, where do you want to impact moving forward? Uh, I mean, the big thing is like, <clears throat> so I've developed this thing. I'm like, I'm super passionate about community development and sponsorship. So that sponsorship piece is not, uh, companies coming and just like giving me money, but it's like developing symbiotic relationships. How can I provide value to them? Mm-hmm. How can they get value from me? I'm a, I'm a U Calgary Dino. I also did like commerce and, and, and marketing. So it's like I tap into that there. 
in terms of that community and development part. Um, just having the background, I'm a second gen- generation Canadian. Yep. Found is like Ghanaian and Canadian. Was born here. Um, just being able to somehow give back in the long term in Ghana is something that's key to me. But I think a big thing is like helping out in your own home. So what I've done, I love speaking. Um, I started a speaking business and going into Tokyo, the original plan was uh, to continue to speak to stages. I did this not because it was a source of income, but because I love going on stage. I can never understand. <laughs> I still don't get it. Like I, 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 like why people want to listen to me. And then maybe that just comes from a, a, an insecure place as a kid. But like, I love the feeling. I absolutely love the feeling. So like I told myself that I was going to be on stages um, going into the Olympics. I want people to like organically hear my story and know this is not like just some made up thing for my brand. So my goal is to, to tell stories. I have three like pretty put together stories right. that I focus on. And uh, yeah, post working in marketing and, and telling these stories. So you've taken me to an interesting place. Let me ask you this. Do you have you sound like. Do you have the performer gene? It sounds like you have a, something inside of you. I mean, look, your sport is the Cadillac. It's the it's the one that everybody comes to. I mean, most important sport in, in track and field, right? And and you're on stage and you enjoy that. Do you have the performer gene? Uh, I mean, I like to think so. To be honest, I <laughs> I haven't really thought about that heavily. I just honestly, when I go out, I just go and do. So if performer gene if, if that means somebody who's going out and, and who's a go-getter and maybe self-driven and and just hungry for change then you know maybe i do hope so well no it was just so fascinating listening to you talk about getting up on stage right mm-hmm. um, yeah you know trent mcclellan from this hour has 22 minutes is is one of my friends and and we talked about the art of comedy yeah. there's a lot of what you just said in the last couple of minutes it's very similar to that conversation i have three stories i have constructed yeah. three stories right yeah. Not unlike how a comedian puts together their act. Actually, yeah. I guess, I, I mean, and that that's actually sounds, so maybe I have the performer genes. The three talks are like, the first one's like finding your purpose. So yep. I just talk about when I first raced Bolt, I was like 19 years old. Was it 20? 19 or 20. I was in university on like a mac and cheese diet. And <laughs> uh, it was so unexpected. I was a sub. I wasn't supposed to run. Anyway, they put me in the, the 200 meter heats the day after he broke the world record. And here I am, lane four, he's lane five. I race him. I pass him for like a split second. I lose, or people would hear about it. But the big thing about that is I came I came home from Calgary thinking that I would just have like my mom, my dad, my sister at the airport. But instead I had like community leaders. I had kids, I had parents. And I realized at this point, I was like, okay, being an athlete is bigger than just, just sprinting. You can be a figurehead. So I just kind of challenge whether it's like corporate teams or universities or high schools, like, you know, find your purpose. And I love sport. Don't get me wrong, but I really love just that community development piece and and seeing positive change. Um, and then the other ones are like, you know, finding your authentic voice. Mm-hmm. I was on the Amazing Race Canada mm-hmm. last year, and that was. Some people think I just applied and I got on, but it was like it was a very strategic thought. Like when you're making a video, what's going to appeal to, to the right. people who are selecting and, and just taking people on my mindset and how that happens. So that's a really cool one. Um, and then lastly, like manifesting a growth mindset. When you have two broken hips and you're told that you won't be able to run as fast as you can, or you won't be able to run as fast, to, you won't be able to run to your potential. It's a really scary thing. And I just kind of like reverse engineer that goal. So, yeah. Uh, so, if you don't mind, let me get into the weeds yeah. a little bit. Yeah, sure, how did you come up with, how did you get to where those stories are now polished and, not stories, but messages? How, did mm. you write them out? Did you work them out? Did you, did they come over time? It, you know, how did you get to those three particular, and I'll, I'll, I'll tack one in there and you can add it in there. Yeah. Are you working on a fourth? I am. Okay. So, okay, I'll say how it all happened. So, I am, uh, I'm sponsored by RBC yep. and they have this really cool program. It's called the, the Olympics program, the Olympian program. Yep. So you can either work in the office or you can be a public speaker. And I remember getting this job and be like, Ooh, I don't know if I can do either, but something in me was like, just, just go for it. And as a result, I was forced to 
kind of just developed these skills. They didn't make me do anything, but I kept being asked to speak on, on finding a passion. And I was like, it made me really dig deep. And I, you know, these organic conversations that I would have with like wealth managers, I was like, why am I having the same conversation? This the find your purpose one. And this happened a lot outside of the bank. I would, I would be talking to people, um, just about their, their daily commute. Like, I'd be like, I put on my running shoes. You put on your Steve Madden's, you know, I have my, uh, protein shake in the morning. You might go to Starbucks and get your cappuccino, macchiato, whatever you call it. Yeah, yeah. Get to the office, I get to the track. You know, you jump into your boardroom, I jump into the blocks. We're the same people. And like, when you have that conversation, like, you know, 30, 40 times, you start to believe, you start to understand that this is an organic problem. And if you have that platform to speak on it, do it. And that's when I was just like, okay, let me just develop this conversation into a talk. And now people absolutely love it. Um, so that happened. And then, I guess your other question is, what is my my fourth? No, talk? not what, but are you? Are oh, you? I, yeah. So I am. So yeah. one thing I realized um, is I get a I get asked a lot about my 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 background. So being a Guinean Canadian, mm -hmm. and I realized that there's a lot of students, there's a lot of kids, there's a lot of people in corporate that want to hear about that just being. Uh, yeah, second generation and doing what I'm doing. So I've developed a talk. I'm actually doing it to the Commonwealth Games. They call it the SportWorks Committee or SportWorks Program, sorry. And I'm just going to talk about the lessons that I learned from my father, who's like Guinean Canadian as well, but he just had these, he's very wise. He'd always have a, he has like a deep African voice, like Sammy, you know, always <laughs> super wise. But I want to be able to tell people this is where this drive came from. I didn't just wake up. I didn't watch a TED talk or or watch like Gary Vee and get inspired. Yeah, it actually yeah. came from my father, who was like very, very disciplined on me. Like he was very uh, or he instilled a lot of discipline within me. And yeah, just to be able to talk to students about that. So I'm developing that right now. I'm going to speak on it next week, actually. So that's that's the number. So the next one. You have done a TED or a TEDx, right? Yeah, I did a TEDx, my goodness, I think it would have been 2017, right? At, kind of at the beginnings of like really formulating these talks, yeah. Yeah, How? how what was the challenge? Because that's, for those who don't know, there's a bit of a challenge of putting and meeting the standard, right? Putting mm -hmm. a talk together and meeting the standard for that. Yeah, I'm trying to remember how that even happened. I think, oh, I had, <laughs> I had spoke at another event. I was on a panel, and somebody on that panel, I guess, knew somebody who was in uh, the creations for a Ted talk in Toronto. And they were like, we really like how you, you spoke. You should jump onto it. And knowing me, I always say yes. And then prepare <laughs> later. So I was like, Oh, let's do it. And I think one big challenge was like, when you're on stage, you want to be authentic. Mm. I sometimes watch some of these Ted talks and everybody has the presenter voice. I had that too. And I, I'm not going to lie. I still have it, but I was just like, I want to just speak to audiences like I spoke before, like on being organic to, to coworkers. I want to do that on stage so then people feel like, okay, there's no, there's no barrier. There's a bit of a bridge to our conversation. What's your, what's your key or what are you looking to do with an audience? And how do you, how do you include the audience? Are you a guy that uses silence? Are you a guy that includes people from the audience in your conversation? How do you, Sam, work with an audience when you're speaking? I say working with an audience. Yeah, there's a lot of silences. There's pauses. You'll 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 ask questions and you'll try and include people. But ultimately, it's like I like to uh, evoke emotion. Hmm. If you're not feeling it internally, then you're not going to be affected. I want you to leave my talk um, thinking that you're going to go and do something to change. I mean, it doesn't have to be as big as changing the world, but maybe even just changing your mindset. A lot of times when I'm in corporate. Um, it tends to be, you know, the accountants and, and some of the wealth advisors. I'm like, what are you doing to tangibly change your community? And that one hurts because I feel like there's a lot of people within that industry who are motivated by money. So being able to ask tough questions, almost to the point where you might piss somebody off. Make them like, uncomfortable. Make them uncomfortable and make them want to, to go out and do something. And if you can't directly make change because... I mean, you're sitting in a cubicle. Okay, can you go out and, and, and run at a breast cancer awareness event? Or can you 
even just donate to a specific cause that aligns with your personal values, challenging them on those ways. Because there's a lot of jobs, let's be honest, that are that don't actually do anything that uh, positively changes society. Like there's just and that's just that's just the nature of life. You nervous when you get up there? Do you need the first reaction? Do you need to hear from the crowd at all? Or or is it like go time? Like, let me up there. I want up here. I'm always nervous. I'm oh, always. Yeah. Has never changed. Really? Yeah. And it's funny. Some people are like, oh, you done this? Like, I've probably done more than 150 speaking engagements over the last, like, I want to say like 10 years, whatever it is. But every single time I am terrified, but I love it. Is there something in this? 10 years down the road for you is there you know do you see you know would a dream job be sports media you know political media entertainment is there anything like that i mean you know just curious you coming to take anybody's job <laughs> running for prime minister <laughs> nah, nah. <laughs> i definitely think in in the next like five to ten years like i want to be able to create um a program so that community development peace of mind um, I'm big on strategy, mm-hmm. marketing strategy. So from top down, I want to create a program that makes tangible impact. So starting here in uh, Canada, it would be nice to do one in Toronto, one in Calgary. Um, and then I would then expand that to Ghana. And I think the, the inspiration for that comes from, I actually trained up at, uh, at York University in Toronto and I would drive up through an area that doesn't get a lot of love. Like there's a stigma on this area that the the university is is right by. It's called Jane and Finch. I'm not a big fan of even, I shouldn't have even said it to be honest, because like I feel like it's just looked down on. Yeah. And I have a lot of training partners. I know a lot of kids that I've mentored in that area. And I'm just like, man, to see some of the disadvantages that are going on. And, and some of it is, some of the kids just don't, have any mentors or anybody to uh aspire to if you don't see people who are being successful how are you going to be successful um so i'd love to just not only create a program but maybe even enhance some of the existing programs i want to be able to like provide mentors to these people create the frameworks so that's that's me like i don't know i'd say like within the next five years that'd be amazing being optimistic and then 10 years just just doing it international community building through sport you would use sport as the driver? You know what? I would. I would. I'm open to, to other facets, but yeah. I mean, sport is what has gotten me to where I am. Yep. So I believe that is what can help others to get uh, to where they need to be. All right. I'm, I'm going to read a promo and then I'm going to get you to do one. Uh, not sure what sports are provided in Calgary. Sport Calgary Sport Directory will help you find the sport and the sport organization right for you. Visit sportcalgary.ca to learn more. Tell me where we can find you. Tell me about the web. I'm not even anywhere near done with you, but promote <laughs> yeah. the website and promote your social presence too. All right. You can come. Oh, just go ahead. Oh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> no, just tell us where you where we can find you. You can find me at www.sameffa.com, my first name, my last name, or you can jump on uh, Instagram, Twitter, at Sam underscore Effa. I have a Facebook page as well, first name, last name. I uh, hope to see you there. That's awesome. Um, born in Calgary, what did you play growing up? What sports were you involved in growing up? I didn't play any sports growing up. What? You're an <laughs> Olympic athlete. I, it's, it's so crazy whenever I tell people this. So I, I mean, recess, lunch, yep. at school, I did that. You know, I, in junior high, I made the basketball team. But when it comes to, like, if you're talking, like, organized sport, club, Outside yeah. of like junior high lunchtime and maybe a bit of after school stuff, didn't do anything till I'll give myself like grade 11, grade 12. What? I started training track and field grade 12. Why? Because I was like, you get to travel. My first, yeah. it was junior national championships. I don't think I had left the province. I know I had left. I had went to, uh, when I was three years old, my family went to, we all went to Ghana, but I don't remember it. So it doesn't count. No, that, that doesn't count. No. <laughs> But I had uh, qualified for the Junior National Championships in Sherbrooke, Quebec. It was amazing. I don't think I had even seen French people within Canada. How sad is that? Yeah. But I went out there. I, I competed well. And from that point on, I was like, man, I am living a very, not, I wouldn't say sheltered life, but just like I hadn't seen the world. And instantly when I, 
when I heard that World Junior Championships were in, I think they were in Beijing or something that year, I was like, I got to do this. And uh, just another motivating factor. So why no sports? Why, why um, not growing up? No interest or no time? No, I always had interest yeah. in sports. I mean, I come from a family. I have three older brothers and a younger sister. Okay. So it just came down to, um, I mean, a bit of priority. It's not like we were <laughs> struggling by any means, but it's just that's a lot of people. And and when you have brothers and boys like me and my brothers, it's we're, we're kind of hard to contain. So <laughs> I, I, I want to say, uh, you know, it was a bit on us. And you weren't in any trouble or anything, were you? No, growing up, I wasn't in oh, any okay. trouble. I was pretty, I was pretty shy and quiet, if oh, anything. Okay. Like, I just, I really stayed to myself. So, how did they find you in grade eleven? How did, or how did you find them? How did you get to track and field? You know, the funny thing is, I, I remember I uh, went out to the track team, and they didn't even see me run, but I didn't make the team. Like I hadn't even run yet. They're like, oh, he's probably not that good. <laughs> it took um, a University of Calgary coach. Um, I can't remember exactly how she recruited me. This was my first coach, Brenda, uh, to see me uh, compete at a, it was a dyno meet. So how it works in, in the university system is you have like open events. So you can be 16 and you could be competing against, you know, a 25 year old sure. uh, in, in their master's program at U of A. So anyway, I jumped into a 60 meter race. I had my big baggy shorts on. I had some borrowed spikes from my high school and I didn't win, but I remember I beat all of the Dinos athletes at 17. And there was like this one guy who had the uh, the Canada West record um, who was in the race ahead of me. And I almost beat him. And they were like, oh, my gosh. From that point on, they're like, you're training. And, uh, yeah, things just kind of took over. Did you like it right away? Um, I <laughs> I didn't. I, I didn't oh. like training. I did not like training. So okay. I was like, man, why do I got to get so – why am I so tired like I didn't understand that obviously yet yeah, when you run you gotta you gotta recover. I would do things like I wouldn't uh, drink enough water before training. I had yeah. like no no nutritional like mindset. So at first I didn't like it because I felt like I was just being restricted with all these rules. But then when I get to competition and I got to travel, I absolutely loved it. So that was the for me that was the factor that kind of pushed me to to do track. So when did you become an athlete? You know, when did the mindset change? When did the appreciation change? Like, you know, you're going up against some people who probably put some years in, right? You know, and all of a sudden you show up and, and you're playing spoiler here. When did you, when did you turn, when did the mindset turn into being an athlete? I'd say the mindset uh, turned to being an athlete first year university. Okay. Like I had won at our, I guess they call it U sport now. I had won a medal in, it was like the four by 400 meter relay. And I was like, man, I can do better than this. <laughs> the next year, I came back, won four golds. And then the year after that, I broke the, the, the still standing U-sport record. So when I saw what I could do when I actually put in the work in the weight room and on the track, I was like, who knows where this can really, really go. So you started in grade 11. Yeah. How many years until you would represent your country? Not a school, but your country. Mm -hmm. <sighs> feeling kind of old looking back now. I'm like, what year was that? Uh, 2000. So, mm, I guess it would have been my first team was 2000. I want to say it was 2000, 2008. So okay. 2005. So three years. So three years after grade 11. Yeah. With no background, no nothing. Sam no. F is now representing Canada. Like yeah. how freaking cool is that? Like that to me is a great story. <laughs> Thanks, man. I, it was it was awesome. I mean, you can tell I had no training. My form was <laughs> atrocious. Well, of course now you know that, but but back then, even then, you're like, Ugh. like when you get to that level, most people have been training. Yeah, you know, they they kind of have both feet in front of them. Like I was just raw speed, legs flying, arms flailing. It was yeah. <laughs> I I love it because I think. And, and I know you're an ambassador for Classroom Champions and, and you've, you know, you've talked about mentorship, but I, I, I think it's so important, Sam, that we tell stories like yours that, you know, everybody thinks now you have to get into the sport at six years old. You have to specialize and buy all the coaches and stuff like that. You didn't even you weren't in sports. No. And at grade 11, three years later, you're representing. I think it's a great story. I think we got to get <laughs> back to that. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree. And I think sometimes 
it brings me back to that time too, because when I started track being so late, I would see these kind of like helicopter parents who had, yeah, they'd been, they put their son into to track when he was four years old and they would be so angry at their kid for, for losing to me. I remember one time I had a, it was like a <laughs> Texas donut right before I run or right before I ran. And I didn't, I didn't realize they had been watching me, but it was just more salt in the wounds. I would say that those sort of athletes for those parents, like, love like let your kid love what they do yeah like don't don't put pressure on them try different things had i fallen into tennis i would have been terrible but i just happened to be into something that i was good at always a sprinter did you uh dabble in other track events uh yeah i've never tried anything else just sprinting just sprinting never tried long jump like threw a javelin once terrible but (laughs) (laughs) just just sprinting so what was the hook what what was it? I mean, here we are, you know, 10, 15 minutes ago, we're talking about being on stage and, and, and doing a presentation. But what was it? In, what did you like? What did it give you? What was going through your mind when you were sprinting? So I love the fact that when you're on the line, it's just you and all the work that you've put in. You don't have to rely on nobody else. Yeah. You know, if you run slow, the onus is on you. Right. If you run fast, hey, you put in the work in the in the weight room. I love that when you're in the blocks, it's your destiny. And it's basically you who chooses how how great you truly want to be. In grade twelve, I did play football at high in high school. Okay. Uh in Calgary, so Winston Churchill, Bulldogs. There yeah. You go. Uh, for those who know. Represent. Um we were one in eight. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were so terrible. And I think the thing that hurt me was our, just our mindset was just so like we were so like we would go into to um, into games just knowing that we were going to lose. Right. But I would be sitting there. I was a team captain. And I was like, hey, guys, like we got to we got to like let's get our you know, let's get our our, our, our our spirits up. Let's let's do this. And to have everybody just like, ah, let's just hope not to lose by 40. I was just like, oh, so track and field was this amazing feeling where sure. it's like. You know, if I lose, this is on me. Right. If I win, this is on me. If I do an extra set of push-ups, I might be stronger. I, I just want to point out to the audience um, that Sam did tell us he played one year of football. He was a captain. That's impressive to me for a shy kid to become a captain <laughs> in one year of football. Pretty impressive. I got to know, though, what I think I think I know about football coaches, You, they get somebody like you. Were you playing both sides? Were you a receiver and a safety or receiver and, you know, or... Um, DB or anything? I was small. Okay. So I played, you know what? Actually, my bad. I actually did play grade 10 and 11. Okay. That's my Okay. Bad. I got to take that back. It's all coming back to me. Maybe no, no, it's all good. That's all good. It's all good. I got hit hard. I got hit hard. Well, that makes um, sense, though. <laughs> but yeah, I was playing, um, I was playing running back. Oh, okay. So I was like slot back, half back. I was a receiver. I didn't play both ways because I was like 140 pounds, 130 pounds. <laughs> Um, I was punt returner, punt receiver. Anything that is running and sure. having ball was me. It was you. Okay. Uh, and it yeah. never never once you didn't – there was never a CFL dream or did you get recruited or anything? <laughs> so my first year university, um, they had some like all-star camp. And I remember I had gotten invited. And I walked in. I did like the bench press test. I think he had to like – it was like – Bench 135 as many times as you could. <laughs> I was strong. I maybe did it like five or six times, but I was like, this is not for me. Yeah. This this is not for me. And everybody was like yeah. six. I'm like, I'm going to get crushed. Okay. <laughs> Always wanted to ask Sprinter this. How hard is the setup for the start? Are you a guy? Are, are you prone to false starts? Did it take you a while? Are you, is that your strength? Where, where, when you're in those blocks, how long did it take you to get good at that component you know what the start that for me that's that's something that i've always been great at okay like i don't know what it is i think i just naturally have this reaction time like you don't want to watch a horror movie around me like (laughs) if there's a loud noise i have elbowed my girlfriend in the neck like it's i have a reaction time that is like really good if anything it's my the the end of my race so the last like 30 meters it's the taller guys the, the guys with the longer legs that come and just kind of, like, catch me. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> awesome. Um, the other thing I'm trying to learn about is 
your sport, are there are there villains? Are there guys with black hats? Is there <laughs> is there something you do? Can you could if you and I are lined up and we're in the block starting blocks together? Is there something you can do to kind of put me off my rhythm? Maybe make me take a false start? Is there any kind of that stuff going on? I mean, nowadays, honestly, we're all. Like Canadians, you know Canadians. Yeah, yeah. Canadians oh, are yeah. so nice. Yeah, I'll probably like cough and say sorry, but we are pretty. We're we're good in in the early uh, parts of my career when I was kind of like that guy in the baggy shorts who yep. started to like start beating the national team guys. That was when I saw some 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 uh, poor sport sportsmanship towards me. Um, now it's we're all friends. Like you'll see somebody on the on the line. I mean, you want to you want to kick their ass all the time. All the time. But ultimately, it's like. We're all friends. I remember back in one of my earlier races, I had there was one guy. I won't name. I won't name him. He's retired now, and there's no reason to throw shade on him for no reason. But he would, <laughs> he would intentionally full start, and then he'd be like, "I did that to slow the field down." And I was like, "What's wrong with you?" <laughs> and he would yell, "He was ah!" right before he get in the blocks. But that's not you. That's not no, you. no. Okay. Nowadays, I'm just like, you know what? We've all trained. If you're gonna beat me. Let it be fair and square. I don't want to say I had to to scream in your lane before to 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 beat you. I think that's just poor sportsmanship, and I don't stand for that. Um, can I talk to you on race day? Are you are you in a zone? Are you you know chatty? You know, if I just came up to you at a meet, could we just start talking, or are you zoned in? Oh uh, yeah, you could. I I mean, when I as long as I'm not warmed up, I'll give myself. Um, a, a good hour and 10 minutes on my own. I don't want nobody talking to me. I mean, if you talk to me, you just don't exist. Like you right. could try yep. if you're not there, yep. but beforehand I'll talk to anybody. Okay. I'm but, not trying to have long conversations, but like, no, no, but you have that, <laughs> but you have that period of time where now it's just me. This is where yeah. I have to be focused. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's a big thing, like being mentally focused. So I work with a, a, a mental uh, month, I guess a psychologist. Yep. Sports psych. Yep. And a big thing we speak on is making uh, your race day very similar to every other day of the of the week, any other day of the training week. Mm-hmm. So if I'm, you know, talking to people in training, like it doesn't make sense for me to completely shut everybody out because then I'm not replicating what I'm doing in training. And I'm a big believer that if you want to do what you're doing in training, which is running fast, you got to do what you're doing in training on race day. So are you listening to music? Are you doing mental exercises? What's what is part of your preparation? Um just my mental preparation is keeping things as close to a regular day as possible. Okay. I'm not listening to, to any more music than usual. Okay. And to be honest, training under Less Romantic, we, <laughs> we're not allowed to listen to music. I understand so, that, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the music is uh whatever's playing in my head that day. Yeah. But, yeah. Um <laughs> You mentioned, I believe, before two broken hips. Is that correct? Yeah. So I had uh, labral tears in both of my hips. Yeah. And how did that come about? So it was, in the end, doctors told me that it was just something I was born with. I have impingement oh, okay. in my hips. I was a bit bow-legged growing up, and then it didn't help that I didn't do sport growing up. So this is maybe one of the things. So I, I never worked on my form. It just was like straight into high-performance uh, track and field yeah. with, you know, no f- fundamental movement patterns. Um, so that happened and that was just a little bit of overuse, a little bit of neglect and getting into the sport way too fast. You said though, that, you know, that was something you had to overcome was, you know, you're going through this. Would I come back? When was that moment? When did you, you know, cause nobody just bounces back from, mm. from that. Right. Did it, was it months? Was it a year? When did you feel comfortable again? Um, my goodness, that would have been, would have been a solid, like two years later, because what it, what ended up happening is one of my sponsors, um, I spoke about like, you know, making the move to really align with my sponsors and take them more serious. When I got injured, I was working in the office at RBC in marketing and I, in my head, I was like, okay, this is what I'm just going to do. But on the side, I was training. I was like, if there's a chance I can come back, okay, let's do it. I started jumping into some races. I started getting faster. And I ran a race. I think I had run 10, I think it would have been like 10, 
14 or something. It was wind dated. But anyway, around like 10, 14. And I was like, man, here I am working in an office. I'm running with the top dudes in Canada. I need to put this back and I need to be who I was before. So it was that moment in 2017 that I was like, okay, it's time to get back on the track. Okay. So it took two years. Yeah, solid two years. You just said something that I want you to help debunk. Okay. Because the media, we always, oh, you, you ran a number. Oh, well, did it, was it wind-dated? Ask them, was it wind-dated? We need to know if it was wind-dated. Exactly how much does the wind aid? The, <laughs> the wind aids a lot. It does, does it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, so you have headwinds, and then you have tailwinds. Yep. Tailwinds, I mean, you could run up to 0. 0.2 faster really that much in 100 meters maybe potentially even more i'm just making them numbers sure sure but but it's that kind of impact significantly so it's to the point where if you're if the wind in your race is is um what's the word i'm looking for if the if the wind in your race is is more than it's it's just a i don't even know what unit it is but 2.0 plus 2.0 it doesn't count because you can be aided to be running times that are like significantly uh faster right yeah so it is it is significant then so you're aware of it you know it on race day your competitors know what everybody knows about it yeah everybody knows about okay. it and the, the, the thing that sucks is if you're in a race and you run in a uh, into a headwind so the, the wind's coming against you it slows you down significantly right see i've been at a national championships where people ran up to I want to say it was like half a second slower because it was so windy so it's it makes a massive difference especially if you're trying to qualify uh, for an Olympics. Are you much of, uh, of a historian when it comes to your sport? Do you care about the history? Are you, ed- you know, educated on the, the people that came before? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I care. I care. I'm not like, you know, one of those guys that jumps on YouTube and, and looks up documentaries every day, but okay. I, I definitely know who the, the top gunners in the past were. And I, I have a, a big respect for them. Your sport has an interesting relationship with this country, doesn't it? That, yeah, you definitely. know, it's, it's fascinating to me um, and well documented. You mentioned documentaries. There's lots of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you like that? Does that mean anything to you? Is it, you know, is it cool to be part of a sport that has uh, what I think is a fairly positive legacy overall, outside mm-hmm. of '88, I guess. But I mean, it's good or bad. Anything that's, I mean, negative, obviously, is is not the best to be a part of. Yep. But you you have to embrace all parts of history. So. Yeah, I, I think it's cool to be a part of a, a country that has been on top. And it just it just gives you that much more pride, especially to be a Canadian. All right. You kind of glossed over it earlier. Um, and I should point out to our folks, you can't see it, but uh, Sam stood up because he's been sitting down too long. So he's cramping up. Sorry about yeah. that, pal. I won't well, keep you much longer. Um, Usain Bolt. Yeah. T- tell me about competing against him. First of all, where does Usain Bolt fit for you, Sam? Where do you put him in? in your sport i mean facts are facts he's he is the top guy okay it's hard for as, as somebody who's still even in the sports even admit that but it's it, he's a world record holder multiple olympics but ultimately when i when i hit the track i don't idolize anybody no okay i get that I, yeah. respect is 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 all there i'm like man to do that is amazing but at the end of the day that's where it ends for me and uh mad respect for a guy like that to do what he did because he's doing what each and every one of us track athletes wanted to. Oh, for sure. But it, and how many times would you have competed against him? Um, I want to say I raced him in, I, I believe, for sure, obviously the 200 meters. Yep. Not the, I want to say maybe a couple times, once or maybe once in the 100, and then a handful of relays. Okay. So. Okay. No, it just, you know, when I was, here I am going to be the old man now, but when I was, you know, younger, growing up, it was the heavyweight champion of the world, it was the Kentucky Derby winner, and it was mm-hmm. the 100-meter champion, right? Those were the most important sports people in the world, yeah. right? And there's, and I think of all of them, the 100-meter champion is still considered that, you know, that has a certain cachet within the world of sport. be pretty cool to be that guy, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. Because it's to be the best of all time. Like track is a sport where you literally just need to have legs. This is not a sport where you need to slide down a hill or you need to have equipment or, you know, there's some sort of factor of of having money. 
I mean, obviously it helps. You can get better trainers. But ultimately, if you are so incredibly fast, there's nothing anybody can do. And it's it's such a great feeling to know that, I mean, if this happened to me, I'm talking like it happened, uh, <laughs> it would be an amazing feeling to know that, you know, on any given day, you can look down the street and be like, I could whoop his ass. <laughs> I would love to do that. I would love to do that. Oh, that is the greatest answer in the history of answers right there. I love it. <laughs> Sam, a couple more for you. Where are you? If if we were, you know, if we were talking, are you 50 way, 50% way through your competitive career? Are you 30%? Where do you figure you are right now? That's a, that's a, that's a tough one. That's a deep one. Um, I would say I'm on the tail end of my career. I am 31 years old. I have been doing this sport now for, my goodness, 10, 11, 12 years. And I'm hungry to do things outside of the sport. So definitely would say I'm I'm, I'm on the tail end. But I'm, I'm leaving this sport with a bang, and I am super motivated to do something. I'm going to do something. This is awesome. All right, my last question for you is the same last question I ask everybody on this podcast. There are no parameters. I will ask the question. You give me your answer, Sam. I am looking for your hidden Calgary gem. Oh. Uh, <laughs> wow. Okay, wait, how long do I have to think? A hidden Calgary gem. Yeah. I don't want to be, this, I don't want to put parameters. Any- Anything you want. Hidden Calgary gem. Yeah. The idea behind it, I'll buy you a little bit of time. The idea behind it is that when this is all over and people listen to the podcast, we want them to think, geez, I, I was listening and Sam said I should try this or go there or, or look at this or something. And, and that's our question. So just something for when it's all over that, that people might want to check out. Man, I am blanking out. My hidden Calgary gem. Uh... When I lived here my whole life. Uh, <laughs> you got a favorite restaurant? You got a favorite bookstore? Something like that? Favorite park? Favorite anything like that? I think I'm boring. You're boring. <laughs> you can't be boring. Hey, Calgary Joe. I mean, I'm a I'm a Northwest. I'm from the Northwest. I'm a okay. Northwest kid. Like my hidden Calgary gem would be. What, what, what do I what, what do? I do? What, what do about I do? a restaurant? Okay. Like, you got to have a restaurant, right? Right? Or a yeah. coffee shop or someplace you go get your smoothies or... All right. I'll give I'll give a shout out. Fit Kitchen. I, I love Fit Kitchen. A good friend of mine, Jason Zoran, is the owner of that. Yes, he is. And he's come up a couple of times on this podcast. <laughs> got to support a small business. But that actually, you know what? That would be definitely it. He supported me um, when he had his restaurant. It was called The Main Dish. But he moved on to Fit Kitchen, and I would definitely say his restaurant is a, a hidden gem because not only does it um, support amateur athletes, but it's I'm a big believer in in just nutritious meals, and I find nowadays we don't get enough of that. So I'm giving him my shout out and my hidden gem. I yeah. love it. I love it. Um, we have purposefully, although you mentioned it once, I just can you update us at all on Amazing Race? And I know. We got to be a little bit sensitive here, so. Yeah, sure. So I, I was on Amazing Race Canada last summer, and uh, it was it was such an amazing experience. I <laughs> did not know what to expect, but I would definitely say one takeaway uh, from being on that competition was, you know, you have to take chances, and yeah, sounds basic, but going onto that competition. It, it brought me so far out of my comfort zone. It's ridiculous. I was jumping off bridges. I was doing these, I don't even know what it's called, like these jet ski thing where I'm like 25 feet in the air. But the one thing I learned is had I not taken a chance, I would never have gotten this opportunity. And in the end, it, it was a really cool experience to be able to kind of like plot. To, to, to put out the platforms that I'm a part of, the people that I um, am passionate about supporting. And of course, I'm heavily in community development and stuff. So to be able to just kind of like speak to the things I stand for was super cool. And I came second, which is so sad, but I'm happy it happened. You are a, a real good dude. Sam, thanks for spending some time with us today. This was so much fun. Yeah, thank you so much. Follow me on Instagram, shameless shout out um, at Sam underscore Effa. How, how cool is that? 
Sam's Sam's a pretty awesome guy. I mean, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that podcast. Really enjoyed uh, spending a little time with Sam. He is a, a very, very cool guy. Um, do have to apologize a little bit to him. I kind of ambushed him. I just we hooked up by press record and I never even told him we started. We just kind of jumped in with both feet in the podcast. So my apologies, Sam, you deserve better from me. That was my fault, but he handled it. Well, he handled it. Well, um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Sam is a guy that I, I really excited for you to see. Um, you're going to see him around town. Uh, if you get a chance in the future, when we're back uh, holding events, uh, make sure you catch him somewhere because he's a really neat guy, and I think he's got a really bright future. Thanks to Sam. Thanks to all of our guests recently. Holy cow, we had some good ones. Um, still to come somewhere around. Well, that's the problem. We record them and then they release them at certain times. So I don't want. But uh, if you haven't heard from Jesse Lumsden, you should hear from Jesse Lumsden. If you haven't heard from Tom Higgins, you should go back and catch Tom Higgins. Since we're on that football beat, I'll throw Randy Chevrier in there as well. So some really cool guests. Make sure you check them out. This has been an original Six Feet Conversation podcast at sportcalgary.ca.